If you're an attorney in the pursuit of a successful law practice, fulfilling career, and the life of your dreams, this podcast has it all. Behind the Bench gives you great tools to overcome the unique challenges you face every day as a law firm owner. Welcome to Behind the Bench Podcast with your host, Josh Konisberg, author, partner, and co-founder of Law Firm Marketing Pros and Lifelong Entrepreneur. Josh Konigsberg from Law Firm Marketing Pros, back with another Behind the Bench podcast episode. Super excited today with my guest, Dennis Yu. Dennis is a legend in my mind. He is a co-author of the number one best-selling books on Amazon, on Facebook ads, on Google ads, and now TikTok ads, co-author with Perry Marshall. We all know who Perry is. So Dennis, super excited to have you here. Thank you and welcome. Awesome to spend time with you again, Josh. Yeah, great. Always great to see you. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into uh, the, the space of digital marketing, the arena of digital marketing? I'm just an old-time search engine engineer. I built the analytics at Yahoo, which was the dominant search engine about 25 years ago. And ever since then, whenever there's data, like social media came in, when Facebook opened their platform in 2007, we were there. And I've been sort of the engineer data geek behind the scenes as people are running ads, building websites, trying to do SEO, this kind of thing. So I have the engineer's perspective. So you're the smartest guy in the room. I'm just the mechanic. There's a lot of yeah. salespeople that are very good at selling, right? You go to the showroom and the, you know, the yeah, right. sales right. guy has, has got a great suit on like you do. But the mechanic is the one who actually works on the car and can tell you what's actually going on with the engine and is that other guy actually doing what he said he said he's, you know, Great. Said he's going to do it. or is doing Love it. Love it. So what inspired you to get into a career in, into, in that type of engineering? Well, I didn't speak English when I was here. I didn't until I was six. And um, so I was an introvert. So things like public speaking or making friends, I didn't really understand because kids made fun of me, but I was good at math. Okay. And that was like my way as this Asian kid to like get back at those other people. Cause at least I, you know, made it, I didn't have any friends, but I could just beat everyone on the math test. So right. I was number five in the nation in math wow. counts. And I traveled, did math competitions. I represented California in the national spelling bee in Washington, DC in 1988. And I was just one of those like mathlete sorts of people. And that naturally, because my mom, ran a system at Honeywell for in defense engineering and whatever. She had access to these computers and I just found computers to be an amazing thing. 35 plus years ago, I built my first website and lawyers would pay me to build websites. We built the intranet for Raytheon, which is a multi-billion dollar defense contractor. Then all these other things happen like Yahoo, American Airlines. Uh, we did the analytics for Starbucks and Nike and Quiznos and like all, and I just, I love, I'm like this kid in the candy store because whenever there's data, I know that I can come in and do my thing, which is, you know, op the mechanic opens the hood and I can see all these different systems and doesn't matter what the salespeople say or what the consultants say because the data, like you can't argue the data. Like I would, you know, right. turn in English papers and get C's and D's because the professor didn't like me. But if I solve the math problem and I have the correct answer, you have to give me full credit. And I just love the fact that if the answer is five, 
The answer is five, and no one can argue it. That's great. That's uh, that's fascinating. I love I love to hear stuff like that. And it's funny today to to see your Facebook and how how outgoing you are, and, and actually meeting you personally and how going you are uh, outgoing you are. You know, I would never think that you were an introvert. So that's you know, my hats off to you, man. Kudos. That's that's great to hear, man. So, um, how exactly did you transition away from Yahoo into working for yourself? We had the opportunity to acquire Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg, when he'd come into Yahoo and me being the data guy, I had to put together models to figure out what is a social network worth. And I thought in my, you know, younger sort of hubris that we could build our own social network. Why would we pay a billion dollars for this other, what this kid built out of Harvard? We can build, you know, we're engineers. We can build our own thing. And so we've always been, I've always been a builder not just some idea guy. Like I want to build actual systems. And when I was at Yahoo, a lot of us would, I was like one of the few people in the beginning that still stuck around. And so the joke among us was that those who stuck around were failed entrepreneurs because all the other people went off to like my buddy, Brian and Jan, they, we used to play Frisbee twice a week. They started WhatsApp and sold that thing for it, 17 billion and all these other entrepreneurs. That, and I was one of the few that didn't until eventually I'm like, you know what? I have so many ideas. I don't want to try to, like I wanted to do food.yahoo.com because I love food. I love restaurants and I wanted to build a whole portal just for restaurants. Like this is before Yelp or these other things. And there was so much bureaucracy. I couldn't get any of my ideas through. And it was just meetings all day. And it just all these like marketing people would come in and these manager people that didn't actually know anything, but they were managers from some other company and they had managers of managers. <laughs> and I love it. You're right. I'd go into a meeting. I was at Yahoo. This This happened multiple times. And there'd be this meeting and there'd be 14 people in the room and they'd say, you know, they, you know, there's the introductions, people show up late. So 15 minutes later is when you start the meeting and then they're just talking about nothing because they, they meetings always blow an hour for some dumb reason. Like people want to just blow an hour, even though there's like nothing to do, no agenda. And so I would just say, hey, guys, don't mean to be rude, but if you know, if you need me, like come and get me. I'm over there in my office working, writing code. So if you need me, come get me, but I'm just, I'm not going to sit here in this meeting with these 14 other people and who the heck are you and who are you and who are you and what do you do? Oh, I'm a product manager or I'm this manager of this other thing. Or I'm an ops manager. I'm like, what, what do you do? You don't write any code. What do you actually, do you actually build anything or do you just have meetings? So I eventually left Yahoo and started building things for friends of mine. And my first client was Grameen Foundation. You ever heard of them? Dr. Yunus won a Nobel Prize for microbiome. And we built their part of their website. We did live blogging from the Nobel ceremony, which is really cool, right? That's yeah, right. where they, they announced the thing that had never been done before. And we started running ads. I, I love Google ads. I was one of the biggest spenders on Google ads. I did a bunch of affiliate marketing, all performance marketing, right? Not like spending brand dollars, but because I was speaking at conferences representing Yahoo, this is before Google was a big thing. I was, I already had my network and like people already knew who I was. So I was doing consulting on the side. So I just loved when friends would start businesses, grow them. And then I would come in as the mechanic, open up the hood and figure out what's wrong with their ads or why is their website loading slow or dissecting what a competitor's doing. And that always involved just pulling in data, which is what I'm really good at. So we have teams of people that pull in data. Like I was just on the phone an hour ago with 
a client in, in LA and he spends 1.7 million as a PI on Google ads and they didn't have a dashboard. Their founder for the last 20 years. I mean, they had stuff at, you know, Litify, they had someone doing SEO and these are all friends of ours, you know, like Steve Wiedemann does their SEO, Ben Fisher does local service ads. There's all these other folks, but they'd never created a dashboard. So their founder was pulling his hair out and getting mad because they didn't know what was going on. Like, oh, it's an intake problem. No, the issue is our lead quality is not good. No, it's because our PPC is or because of the weather, because like, what was the issue? Our phone numbers aren't working. It's like, well, with the dashboard, we could see all of that. And that way there's none of this politics or, you know, needle in a haystack. So that is the data, man. That's right. Yeah. And like why I always start with the data. I don't care. Well, no, I've, I focus just on PI or I am the best PPC guy on the planet or like, I don't care what you say about yourself. Let's look at your data. Yeah, right. Love it. Good stuff. You know, you've mentioned uh, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg a couple times, and 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 I was going to save this, but since it come it's come up a couple times, tell tell everybody about your conversation with Mark Zuckerberg on CNN, where you guys got into I don't want to say it was an <laughs> argument, but a little bit of a debate. <laughs> well, so you know how everyone gets their moment of fame, right? You never know when it's going to come. But when this Cambridge Analytica thing happened, CNN called me to be in the studio. And I was super nervous because this is live TV. This is not like a podcast like we're doing now where I can flub the words and say whatever and we can fix it. Live in front of millions of people globally, not like local in Atlanta or LA. This is global. And it was a setup. I didn't realize it until afterwards. But they brought me in as the data expert on you know privacy and social media to say should facebook be regulated in other words th- you know with cambridge analytica happening and all these bad things happening and people hating on mark zuckerberg it was a complete setup so when i gave my little spiel and then they turned to zuckerberg and said so what do you think do you think facebook should be regulated well you know and then he, that, that I, just he was set up right so i got all these angry texts from other facebook executives saying, dude, you can't be saying stuff like that on TV. I'm like, they look, if CNN calls you in to be an expert, you're not going to say no to that. And of course, I'm going to say the obvious things. I said like, well, do you think cigarette companies should be able to set their own regulation? What do you think about the consumers that don't really understand what's going on with their data? What about these kids that are 13 year old, years old and you know they're having ads that are manipulating them and the newsfeed is you know created to be addictive and I explained how addictive the algorithms are, which everyone loved. And that works so well. I thought I kind of flubbed it because I, you saw in the first 10 seconds, I was I was dumbfounded because I had lack of sleep and nervous. And, you know, I was I didn't realize which camera was on and it's, like I was an idiot. But I, I that, that went I thought I failed that one. It's like, oh, crap, I messed this up because I was just like the, the thing was in my ear because, you know, you're supposed to you have the conversation with the host. But there's this thing in your ear where the the producer guys you know, telling you, okay, we're cutting to a commercial in 10 seconds. Okay, now Dennis is on. Okay, now ask him about that. And like, I'm trying to listen to the thing in my ear while I'm talking to the guy and there's all the stress and I didn't have enough sleep because, yeah. you know, I was afraid I would miss my alarm clock in the morning to get up at 5 a.m. to go to the studio and all this. Like, there's just like too much going on. I thought I did a poor job, but they invited me four times back into the studio. Every time some nonsense happened, like even with Twitter, some nonsense happened you know, with the data leak and they asked me, so Dennis, you know, what do you think about Twitter's data leak and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm happy to answer that question. Why not? Right. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's funny when you said set up the center, you weren't set up. They set Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg was set up with yeah. somebody who was really a, a, a true da- data analyst and could really, 
yeah, I guess I guess put put him in a corner, and you know, um, sounds like his. But team. it set me up to win, though, right? And and so yeah. I I don't. Well, I mean, he did you, win. You're not you're not going to fall for like whatever random stuff. I'm not like one of these you know conspiracy people, but the media is going to paint a particular angle. Like USA Today will call me, and they'll say, "Hey, you know this thing is going on at LinkedIn, and we need someone to give this particular point of view. Can you give it?" And I'll say. I could, and I understand what you're trying to get, but that's just frankly incorrect. And then the reporter will say, it's a, it'll be a staff reporter. They'll say, yes, but the director of, of USA Today, you know, West Coast said that we need some, you know, this is a story we're trying to push. This is the angle we want. And I'll say, well, okay, here, I'll give you a quote, but I'll also caveat it because I know that's what you want, but it's not, it's not a real story. You guys are just trying to chase this thing. That, that unfortunately that's, that's mainstream media today. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So, as you, you, you transitioned into your business, um, can you tell us exactly what your business is today? Ads and analytics optimization. Everyone's got lots of systems. So you've got Google Ads and your website. You have vendors that have different systems. You have custom built things. You have some kind of CRM. You have like Five Nine or Call Rail or Litify case management systems, and all these systems have data, and it all needs to be put into one place. And then other people that have different slices where you outsource the intake, someone else is trying to do the local SEO, this other vendor is doing this other thing, you have an in-house team creating content, you have a podcast, and all these things are being measured according to some random thing like how many pieces of content did we post? How many phone calls did we answer within a minute or what whatnot? But very few of them go all the way back to the top line revenue. Are we referring out the right cases? I mean, you can game any metric. The metric of, you know, what percent of calls were were converted. Well, what if you just, what if one agent just marked all the calls as, you know, not qualified to try to fake increase their numbers? Like, we understand that humans will try to game the system, you know what I mean? To make their thing look better. Like social yeah. media people will get, will buy followers and say we got a whole bunch of impressions and likes and whatever yeah but did that actually drive anything towards the bottom line there's one one person who i'm not going to mention his name but you know who he is and he thinks he's really good at law firm seo and he was charging a friend of mine seventy thousand dollars a month to do seo i came in and within five minutes i found all he did was put up a bunch of glossary pages that did drive that ranked on you know, truck driving related terms, but they're all like, how do I get a commercial driving? Like, you know, how, like, they're not people who got in accidents. These are people who are trying to become truck drivers. And he claimed, you no, know, success, you know, a big win on SEO. And he's just gaming the system. So right. I, I believe that when you have a dashboard, as simple as it sounds, really hard to build, that looks across everything, you can hold everybody accountable instead of, well, so and so uses so and so firm. So I'm going to use them too. Right. Okay. That's right. So this software is really good because it was all right. Because I went to this guy's conference and he had Aerosmith play. Well, I'm sure the guy spent a bunch of money at his conference, but does that mean? But and maybe the agency is great, but how about the person working on your account? Are, are the people are those good people? Because every agency, every vendor has a few good people. You know, like your firm, my firm. We all have some people who are like, you know, heavy hitter, a list. People and then we have other people that are kind of new and learning and whatnot. So, you never want to be the law firm when you get the junior people, but somebody's got to get them, right? That's right. That's right. You know, you know the joke like, what what do you call the the person who graduates last from medical school? Doctor. (laughs) That crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's so we, we just like, don't blame the scale if you're fat, you know, don't blame me. I'm, I just, I'm the scale. Right. 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 <laughs> so you have built a dashboard, an analytics dashboard that's gathering data from multiple channels yeah. that funnels up to top line revenue. Is that yeah. a great description of it? Yep. What's it and called? Think of, think of a funnel. Oh, we call it your content factory or other people just call it the dashboard. The folks at Nike call it Dennis's dashboard. And they Nike calls it the footprint, the, which is funny because it's okay. whatever shoe company. But the foot, like Nike, for example, there's the Nike brand. There's all the you know Nike football, basketball, soccer, Nike Japan, all the different social channels, all the athletes. You know, so they map out all their stuff. Law firms, though, it's what what is your intake system? You know, what where are you tracking your phone calls? If you're using like Alitify, we have to tie the tracking codes back to where the money's being spent and what phone number is on, what agent answered the phone, whether it was raining that day, you know, what type of case it was, because, you know, dog bites versus accidental death. I mean, there's all these different, there's different ways of looking at the data. There's, you're, you're passing stuff out to outsource into intake versus in-house intake or overnight. Like there's so many different ways of cutting the data to say whether things are performing or not. And that requires just as an engineer, you have to build systems that put all the data in one place. And then you can put your Tableau or your Google Data Studio or, you know, Power BI or whatever your micro strategy, like Crystal Reports, whatever you want on top of this big repository. But if you don't get all the data in one place, doesn't matter what reporting tool you have. You know what I mean? There's so many, like I can use agency analytics. I can build this custom other thing inside Excel. But if I don't get all the data in one place, it doesn't matter how many ways I try to reformat that data. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. So for for those of you in the audience who don't know, agency analytics is a analytics dashboard designed and white labeled specifically for digital marketing agencies like law firm marketing pros. So if I'm understanding you correctly, Dennis, what you're saying is is that we could use your dashboard as a adjunct to agency analytics to get more granular. Yeah. yeah. Because if you put all the data into the middle, you can do different kinds of computations, different kinds of analysis than just like a dashboard that has different tiles that shows just like one metric at one time pulled from a different system. That's easy to build, right? That's out of the box. You can use... Zapier and whatever tools, or, you know, Report Garden, whatever, not just agency analytics. That's easy to build. I mean, that's you, that's built into high level, built into Vendasta, built into all these other tools that agencies like to use. But if you need to get to the true heartbeat of a business, you've got to take those cases that are signed and track them all the way back up through intake, who answered the phone, how long it took, how many touches there were, back to the marketing source. And the marketing source can be multiple. Because they could have seen some billboards and then they went to the website and then they called this phone number and then they, you know, whatever it is. It's it's hard. There's multiple touches on that journey. And yeah. Google has made it difficult. Apple's made it difficult by hiding all the data, right? That's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's yep. ways around that. Like, you know, when the click comes in, you assign a first party cookie based on the tracking URL. Like, there's all these things, right? Yep. Yep. That's, that's one of the big challenges that we're faced with on a daily basis. So, and ultimately the attribution is going to go to some channel, but yeah. there could have been as many as 21 touches or more to get yeah. to that final. Especially decision. if you're running offline. That's so right. what about guys that are doing billboards? Buses. What, right. how, do you, how do you attribute the value of that? 
What if you, you know, write these checks because you're you're making donations and giving out backpacks to these kids that are poor or whatever, right? How do you attribute that? That's right. So, yeah. uh, and how do you attribute that? (laughs) There's three ways of doing it. And it depends on how sophisticated you are. So the most sophisticated way is multi-channel lift testing. So that's when you run a grid, like a Taguchi grid, if you're a statistics person or whatnot. And if, you have, if you're in multiple markets, this is especially powerful. Like we did this for Quiznos, Allstate Insurance. And you turn certain things on and off in different markets to be able to measure the lift. Lift is the increase that is attributed to a particular channel. Like, you know, uh, with Rosetta Stone, we turn Google ads off selectively in different markets on, on, on different keywords to see what the impact is. Now, the reason why lift testing is more valuable than attribution, attribution, we can go on for hours about attribution, but attribution is fundamentally flawed because it assumes that I can tie a particular user's behavior all the way through to a signed case. That is no longer possible now because of what Google has done with these cohorts, Apple iOS 14, all the, all these data things make it impossible to properly tie a particular user's behavior. So the way to do that is you assign segments. So based on time of day. So I can even odd my ads on Facebook or Google to where certain things get turned on and off on even hours. And I measure with the difference, just like, you know, a drug test. Let's say I have this new pill for whatever, right? I'm going to randomize double blind, whereas some people randomly get the the drug and some people get the placebo. And then I figure out, you know, test and control, right? How the test did versus the control. So lift testing allows me to do that across multiple channels, but that requires that your analytics is set up properly. And then wherever you're advertising, you have to be able to turn things on and off. So if you're doing TV ads, you're buying a, a bunch of spot TV, then I have to be able to pulse in different markets on and off to be able to measure what that lift is. And most of the lift, Josh, as you know, but most lawyers don't know, is coming from your own name. So when people are typing in Josh Konigsberg or Daryl Isaacs or, you know, Bobby Sadian or, you know, the the face on TV, because most right. PIs, right, right, it's the face of their name. They love putting their name and I get it, right? But when you audit your Google Analytics or your SEO company or whoever did your website, you're going to find most of those cases came from branded search, right? Which is your name. So of the branded search, how much came from the fact that you're running these radio ads all the time and you have all the billboards everywhere? Do you know how to measure that? Because if you pull all the offline media, you pull all the billboards, you pull all that kind of stuff, your branded search will drop, right? But what the impact is... And the SEO companies take credit. They say, oh, yeah, you know, we drove this many cases and it came through Google. Yes. But how much was branded search? Because branded search is different than non-brand, isn't it? Sure it is. You know, it's so, this is gold for where we're at right now and, what, and some of the conversations that we're having with our clients uh, because it's the challenge that we're confronted with. So you, you talked about, you know, let's say a Quiznos where there's obviously uh, a, a Rosetta Stone with a much larger budget. How, how do you manage that within a smaller market? Even uh, I've got a client I'm thinking of in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Small market, Sorry. but a, a decent sized budget. And he's actually expanded throughout North Carolina. But yeah, so, so how do you manage it? There's a few different ways. So number one, the best way, which is what I prefer, but it's not always possible is if they're in multiple major metros. So 
the Wilmington, I don't know what the the different suburbs are within that, but I would guess that's one DMA direct marketing area. Mm-hmm. That's like one TV geographic area. Mm-hmm. But if they were in multiple areas in is it Delaware, North Carolina, multiple areas, then we we could we could create sort of a grid and and test between them. But if we don't and they're just in one city because a lot of the PIs there's like one big PI per state and there's two or three main areas within the state. But if if you're only in in one area, you have one officer, say you have one GMB, then what you do is you you do this alternating on off. So you can turn certain campaigns or certain ad groups on and off based on hour of the day or based on randomized based on on the the day of the week. So then you could see how much traffic is coming on brand search versus non-brand search or coming on Google ads versus Facebook ads versus other. The key thing is I'm looking for the difference in unattributed because when you run a source medium report, which is harder to find now in GA4 because we've been forced to migrate to GA4, unattributed is really showing me the impact of brand reputation and also the number of people that are searching on the law firm's name or the founder of the law firm is driven by offline media and unattributed, right? There's different ways of reducing unattributed, which is direct none, down to you know 5% or less. Most people, their direct none is 10%, 15%. Some are even... 30%, which is showing a track. If it's over 10%, there's a tracking issue, right? Multi-domains or uh, emails that are not being coded or something, which just shows up as direct none, right? Where we don't know the right. referring source, right? right? Mm-hmm. But the the biggest way to test is literally being able to turn ads on and off based on some sort of, you know, like even hours are on and odd hours are off. The most accurate way is to turn a particular channel on and off completely, but most businesses practically can't do that because they need the leads and I don't want to destroy my numbers for this month by running this test to get the lift. Because you understand, if you want to measure accurately, definitively, where, you know, marketing performance, you have to do lift testing. There's no way around it. Lift testing is measuring the increment because if you don't do lift testing, then you will say all leads and phone calls and revenue and cases, whatever, from a particular source, all of them, came from this channel. So if there was a touch through Google ads, then the, you know, not you guys as law firm marketing pros, but other random agencies or PPC people or SEO people would say, you know what, everything that came through the channel, I take complete credit. Really? Well, if we turned off, theoretically, all SEO efforts, would our, would the number of leads that we get through SEO be zero the next day? No. No, it wouldn't. So that it falls, it will go down, of course. Yeah, right. It dies, it dies its natural death eventually. Yeah, so it, it settles down to what's yeah, right. called the residual, right? right. The here's zero. It, it Here's where you were. You turn something off, turn like Google ads off. Will we no longer get anything PPC? No, it, it'll fall down until it hits this residual. And then the difference between that residual level and where we were is the lift. So what we're trying to do is measure that lift. Because the biggest one where there's cannibalization is brand search. So of course you should bid on your own name, right? Just like competitors bid on your name that get to protect your name. And the biggest complaint people say is, yeah, but I'm already ranking number one on my own name, which is what the SEO people like to say, right? Okay, you're ranking number one on your name, but if you bid on your name, are you not getting incremental traffic that you wouldn't have gotten? Yes. The question is how much overlap or cannibalization are you getting? And we've done studies with Google and it's, they say 20%. I think it's closer to 25%. 
So if you drove an incremental 100 leads, you really only drove, well, according to the PPC, you know, whatever, then really it's only 75 because 25 you would have gotten because you already ranked number one, right? Right. But how, how many agencies, law firms realize that when you do a channel, there is cannibalization with other channels? They don't. Then how do you measure the ROI if you don't if you don't know what the can? Well, I've got some coaches out there that call RO, uh, measuring ROI a fool's errand. Because if you're doing enough enough branding, and he's very very aggressive, and by the way, very successful, yeah. um, in his own right as as an attorney in his law firm, he's been incredibly successful, and he's also coaching uh, attorneys to be very successful to get from that three four million dollar heat that they get seem to get stuck at to up over eight yeah. figures. Um, we we call that, by the way, the halo effect, meaning this. The more that you do, the more that you're found, the more that you've seen, the more touch points there are, the more lift you're going to get at the end of the day. Right. right? I view it as this. I view SEO, which is getting results in search, you know, getting more traffic and business from search queries and whatnot, showing up more, knowledge panels, all that. I view it as an extension of PR and reputation, if you, which is if you have a great reputation, people know who you are because you're on TV all the time, because you take care of your clients, because you have five stars on Google and all this reviews, and all, because people actually know who you are and they love you, then the efforts that you do, Josh, with your firm amplify what's there. So if I was a brand new PI, because I know the rules have changed in different states on who you don't have to be a lawyer anymore to open up firms. But let's just say I, you know, I decided to open up a PI firm and I have no reputation and no cases and I've never, you know, nothing. But I know a lot about ads and all that. I would be a disadvantage because people don't know who I am. Right. So That's right. SEO is amplifying what's already there. So if, if you already have a great reputation and people talk about you in a good way and I Google your name and all kinds of good things pop up, then doing more effort to get more search exposure is just an amplifier. All digital marketing is just an amplifier of what's already there. If you suck, you know, like you're a restaurant and your food is horrible and it's all one stars on Yelp and whatever, running ads is just going to rub salt into the wound. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I like to say who's going to the restaurant with the one star reputation average, right? Nobody. Right. So they're, they're right. out of business. So, so. I love that. I love that direction. And man, we went down a rabbit hole, didn't we? Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what would you say to a smaller law firm? I, and I just recently signed up a, a small personal injury firm, um, and in in a sixty thousand population market, um, never done any advertising before. Uh, settled a large case. Want to get aggressive. Uh, we have a general rule of thumb for clients like that on where the marketing investment should be mm -hmm. in terms of percent digital versus traditional, and then it switches over time. Do you have any feel for, can you speak to that at all in terms of- So in a, in a small market where they already have a big win, I would shamelessly promote that one big win. I would tell the story about them. I'd put it on the website and social media. I'd run dollar a day inside that neighborhood which would work on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and whatnot. And I believe that will drive more brand search and that will make local service ads more effective. I think for PIs in general, LSA is the most powerful thing. But LSA, even though it's technically advertising, folks who are really good at LSA, I've interviewed them on my podcast, they consider it an extension of SEO because it the ads are automatically made and you know the reviews and like 
how fast you answer the phone. Like all these things are tied into that. So if if they've got, even if they're small, but if they really are taking care of their clients and they get clients to say good things about how they've handled everything and they answer the phone and they, you know, first call does it all, all the way through, you know, then I think that search and social will work really well together. Even if there's another big lawyer in town has, who's been around a lot longer, you're going to win in the Google game because you're telling stories and setting the signal. The big law firms I've seen typically hire some other agency they think is very reputable, but who is not in their city. So therefore they can't send the signals that are necessary from someone who actually is in that city, from their team members to the founder who is, you know, hobnobbing with other businesses in that city, collecting videos, images, posting on social. As you know, Right, Google changed E to E-E-A-T, and that extra E is based on experience, which is not based on auto-generated AI content. It's based on actual things that are collected on cell phones that show up in social media. They get repurposed into blog posts, reposted to the GMB, turned into ads, right? You're sending that signal. We're not trying to trick Google. We're trying to do, we're trying to show Google that we are, this is who we are. We're, we're trying to expose what's already there, right? Not like auto-generate all, like the, the, guy I told you about that was charging $70,000 a month was creating all these fake glossary pages. They were super thin content generated by VAs and AI. And it was terrible content because it didn't have the actual experience in there. It didn't have pictures and photos and videos from people in that particular city who got injured in a car accident, motorcycle, truck driving, accidental death, like, none of those things, right? And it was sort of working. And I've seen it work in smaller markets where there's less competition. I've asked my friends at Google about this and they say, yeah, you know, we allow people to do the blog spam and that auto-generated stuff. But with generative AI, which is now starting to roll out, SGE, all that is going out the window. And these guys are going to get crushed. I'm excited for that. Well, that ultimately leads to a better user experience. Yeah. And that's what I did when I was at Yahoo. Our whole our whole approach, my whole my team's job was to create better search experiences, which is basically penalizing the spammers. And most of these SEO people don't think they're spammers, but they are because they're trying to trick us. I can see right through that. You think like you think our teams of engineers can't spot your triangular linking and your private networks and your auto-generated AI stuff. We absolutely can see that. Sure. Yeah. And if you can see it, guess who else can see it? Who? Yeah. Right, exactly. So, so with your let's get let's get back to your dashboard. So, is is do you have a specific niche? Are you white labeling it, or is it a combination of direct and and user? We like to work with agency partners because we don't have any salespeople. We're a team of engineers and data geeks like me. You know, people tend to hire other people that are like them. Right, and we're here just to just to expose the data and. We work with a lot of agencies and, and some of the big law firms, some of the big medical guys, but typically the folks that, that have higher end packages where there's some kind of lead, right? So basically doctors and lawyers for, I don't, it's like a cliche, but we basically work with doctors and lawyers okay. because they have enough, they're spending enough money, they're sophisticated enough that they live across multiple systems. And they often have this issue of many vendors and many systems and they add up the number of leads and sales or whatever from the different reports and they add it up and that's three times more than the actual business is generating. So like, okay, well, what do we do? Just divide everyone's number by three? <laughs> so, you know, Dennis, you just hit the nail on the head uh, with our synergy. 
So earlier today, I had a discovery call with a client and they've got five different vendors for their digital. Yeah. And and they reached out to me because they were looking to consolidate. Mm-hmm. So um, surprisingly familiar, right? Well, I believe businesses should, and, and I know you promote this because you're one of the good guys, but well, we you. believe the clients should own their own marketing. They should have access, like imagine this. If if you're a PI, ask to make sure you have admin on all your stuff and watch the excuses come through. Oh no, we gave you the, you can log into this dashboard, does everything together, like whatever. Like, they won't give you access to the actual Google ads into the WordPress where like, you need to own all the assets. And then you need to go, this is my favorite thing to do in an audit, come in and go to like the Google ads or Facebook ads or whatever and click on the change history. You know what, you know what I'm getting at, right, Josh? And see, when was the last time anyone touched anything? Now, there's auto-generated reports that these vendors will have because they have different tools that will put the their vendor name on the thing and will spit out the thing every week or like ranking reports, especially SEO tools are really good at doing this sort of thing. And it'll send out all these reports, like 20 pages long, this big export printed out, whatever it is, right? But what I'm looking for is, did any did anyone actually do anything? What actions were taken? And is there an explanation from that vendor of why they built this page? or why they tune this ad or why they, if there's no explanation and no thoughtful analysis, then the odds are it's some, either no work is happening, which is most of the time, or B, it's very low grade stuff like adding keywords or like changing a few title tags or doing some stuff that doesn't really move the needle. So there could be a lot of activity because the reports from Ahrefs or Majestic or SEMrush or whatever say, oh, we have these different errors, go in and fix these meta descriptions. like. Okay, but how often is that really going to move the needle? That's great stuff. And, you know, it's funny. We welcome those audits because we know how much work we do and how much yeah. work, especially now. I mean, three years ago, it wasn't nearly as much work as it is today. for people. Yeah, and then agencies who welcome the audit know they're doing good work and they know the audit. It's just like, you know, I, I take an MRI and I'll say like, you know what, Josh? It looks like you're healthy. Looks like you're not eating junk food and, you know, it looks like you're taking care of your body and your triglycerides are, are healthy, you know, that's good. But most agencies, when we do that scan, it's, the numbers aren't very good. And they then trying to blame us, right? Like, dude, we're looking at your data. Why, why are you right. getting mad? Messenger. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's your data. I mean, right. Right. you've just never seen it before. So just changing gears a little bit, what, what motivates you to be successful and, and win for your clients? I'm real simple. I'm going to create a million jobs. And at first I wanted to create just like five jobs by hiring other people. But I had a mentor who was the CEO of American Airlines and he mentored me and taught me how to become more of a people person, how to communicate, how not just to be an engineer. It's like being right-handed and left-handed. You favor your you know right hand. So I favor the analytics side, but I learned about the people side and whatnot from mentors. And I believe that mentors unlock amazing things out of all of us at whatever level. And the more senior people are, the more important is to have mentors. And I found that mentors were lacking in the school system. And so we've established relationships with 700 universities where they're using our training programs and the teachers are mentoring these other kids and they're starting micro agencies while they're still in school, which is way better than just reading the book and writing the essay, but they're actually applying the things that we teach. And I love seeing that. That's why I speak at conferences. You and I are Josh Nelson's seven figure agency. And, and these other places. Yesterday, I gave a keynote address for my with my friends in Pakistan. It was virtual, but five thousand people were there, and we're training up these folks in Pakistan 
on how to do things the right way according to our checklists so that we know that they're able to pass the audit. If we scan that site and scan the social, they're going to pass the audit because here's like, imagine I give you, Josh, the exam, right? could be the bar or the, you know, whatever, you know, the SAT. And I tell you what all the questions are in advance. And you just have to study these different things to know that you're going to pass the test. Is that cheating? Not at all. So I want to create mentorship at scale so that instead of other people, because right now, and especially in the world of PI and digital, you have all these people all saying how amazing they are and they're, you know, they're basically just blowing smoke up each other's butts. But why don't we have real measurement? Why don't we switch from voodoo to MRIs and actual data instead of like who talks the fastest or who has the biggest conference or who appears to be the most successful and talks the biggest game? Why, why not just like the data speaks for itself? So my mission is sort of like this when I was a six-year-old and I was being made fun of. I thought, I'm going to get back at these people because they're shinier. They talk better than me. They have better whatever, better clothes. But I can beat them because I got the right answer and because I actually am doing a better job. And that's and I want a root for the people who there aren't, they're not as flashy, but they, they do good work. And they care about their clients and they care about growing a law firm the right way. And they, they want to be, they really care about reputation in the community. I want to see those people win. Not the people that talk the loudest or have the best TV commercials. Nothing wrong with that. But I, I'm just, this is like my way of letting the good guys win by just turning the light on in the industry and training up everybody on analytics and letting them see what's in their Google Analytics and inside their WordPress and all that. And just, I love seeing that light bulb moment when people actually see their data for the first time. So good. So good, Dash. So what keeps you up at night? There's a lot of people that depend on me. And I'm sure you have that too, right? As your firm grows, you have more and more people that depend on you. And I'm worried, of, I know it's like this irrational imposter syndrome fear, but I'm, I'm worried of letting them down. I'm worried that we're missing the boat. I'm worried that we're not good enough. I'm worried that like someone's going to build something better than us. Like, you know, and so I, I'm worried like when I speak on stage that maybe, you know, somebody will ask a question and I won't have the answer and I'll be embarrassed. And I've spoken at over 800 conferences in the last 30 years and it's never happened to me once. But I think it's because I have this paranoid fear that it causes me to always try to make sure that our stuff is solid, right? So if anyone were to audit us, we would pass. So that to me, that's a true entrepreneurial emotion that's driving you. And I think that most entrepreneurs feel that way. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Ed Milet and his podcast. And, you know, I was listening to him the other day and basically, I, I don't know if that was the same question, but I think he just said, well, here's what keeps me up at night and yeah. it's the fear of. And so, it, you know, it's, it, you know, and as successful and as big as he is, it's, it, it, it's, it's a real thing for us as entrepreneurs. So Ed's one of my coaching clients. I love him to death. Oh, he is? I told, he told me one time that, because he came to my three-day seminar and said it was the best thing he'd ever been to. But he said, he's next door neighbors with Tony in Coeur And Tony was saying, Ed, you should put yourself out there on social media. You should, you know, and Ed basically didn't want to expose his private life. And Tony said to him, Ed, Ed told me this, Ed, you're being selfish because if you truly want to help all these other people, you're going to show people where you're at and you're going to encourage them through your own action of sharing where you're struggling, of sharing the different things, you know, stuff that you're dealing with. And back then, Ed had nobody on his team. He was the one 
Because I couldn't believe he told me, he says, yeah, Dennis, I stay up till four at night and I'm answering the social media posts and I'll get a, a you know, someone, a, a young boy who's 15 and he's thinking about committing suicide and I have to be there for him. And I feel like there's no one there and I'm the last line of defense for him. And so I spend my time taking care of these other people and thinking that's incredible, Ed. Like I know that you wanted to launch the mastermind. This is before he did the thing like with, you know, Andy Frisella and these other folks, but you see the people who truly care. And then you look back at Ed's background, right? When he was a little boy and how he wants to be able to, to help other kids that were in his situation when he, when he was younger, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you, you see people like trying to, I don't know, like make up for the things that happened in their childhood. And I see the same thing for me too. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's so important. Um, and, and I don't know if you were at the uh, seven-figure agency when I, when I was up on stage and I talked about you know, some of my background there when I've been through as a single parent raising two children by myself and yeah, some of the yeah. struggles. Um, it's so important to help. And that's why, you know, I, I mean, I, I give back. That's why I'm involved in children's charities and yeah. and, and whatnot. So it's so, so good. Um, and we're probably just about out of time, but there's a couple more questions that I'd like to ask. Uh, and this is forward thinking stuff because you're so in tune to what's going on. What are, what, are, what do you think are the most significant trends or changes over the last few years, and then it's a two-part question, and then going forward, and I know what going forward is going to be, but so over just like so over the last couple of years, and then going forward for the next couple. I think in digital, there's a dismantling of all channels because all channels behave, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, all of them behave on the same dynamic of the more users are there, the more ad revenue is generated for the network. So it doesn't matter if it's threads or YouTube or Instagram reels, they're all on that same dynamic, which means they lead down the same path of advertising supported growth. Users are never paying $10 a month to not have ads on Facebook or whatever the next, there'll be another social network after TikTok in a few years. You know, that's what it is. There's a pattern here, right? There's so many of these channels or networks as you call them that all rely upon the same mechanics of ad driven, you know, law. that's why lawyers increasingly have all the billboards. That, that you see the same principles work across all of them. And people have not realized, but I've seen this for over 10 years. You can go look at my podcasts or speaking or articles. I've been saying this for over 10 years. The three stages of the funnel, awareness, consideration, and conversion are exactly the same across every single network. I don't care if it's LinkedIn or TikTok. It's exactly the same. The advertising is exactly the same. They use the exact same ter- terminology. That means that whether it's search or social or some new AI implanted social network thing when they have a new thing that, you know, Elon Musk in the brain, they're going to use the same principles. Therefore, if you produce content, real content off the cell phone of your stories, of your staff, of the intakers, of the founders, of whatever, of these three stages of the funnel, you'll be able to cover every single channel at once. You're not making content for YouTube or Instagram or GMB or whatever. You're making content for the user. And that gets repurposed into all the channels. Then that's what we've been teaching inside Seven Figure Agency is preparing people for this. That the idea of the content factory is the figurehead, the people who are on camera, what not the clients, but that's stage one, the production of the content, the processing of the content is so it can be repurposed in the other channels so it can be posted stage three and then promoted stage four, the dollar a concept, which we teach on the promotion. So increasingly, you're going to see this weird dichotomy where there looks like there's more noise because there's more social media channels and more AI tools and all these crazy things that are going on. And uh, Dennis, have you seen this? And Josh, have you seen this one tool? And yes, it's amazing. There's all this noise on one hand. 
Yet on the other side, nothing's changed and it's all exactly the same. It's the same path. Yeah, you take care of your customers, that's going to show up in your reviews. That's going to power your LSA. That's going to make you rank better in SEO. You just have to document that and process it so the so Google can see that. I did a search for Josh Konigsberg, and I see you have a stub of a knowledge panel now showing up. That wasn't there a few months ago. Have you Googled yourself? Not recently, no. Mm -mm. Do you know that you have a knowledge panel that shows up now when you search your name? I did not know that. Wow. My team's doing a great job. Yeah. And and so it's not that anyone was working on getting your knowledge. By the way, you need to go claim that knowledge panel. Get Google verified. They claim the knowledge panel. And that's I, my, maybe my team did. I'll, I'll find out. Uh, maybe they did. I mean, they haven't claimed it though. Okay. My guess is they haven't done anything, but because you have a podcast, because you're speaking, because you're showing up in more places, Google sees a signal that when we look at Josh Conisberg, there are many other Josh Conisbergs, as you know, but you rank number one, and most of the entities that show up on your name are you. Although there's other Josh Connorsbergs that show up, yeah, but you don't yeah. you don't show a full knowledge. Like if you Google me, you'll see this full knowledge panel with all the cards and all the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that's because you have built a reputation over time. In the last three or four years, you have gone on this journey, and you built your reputation. You do a great job with Law for Marketing Pros. I don't need to say that. It's clear. On Google, especially with all the videos on YouTube, because the press releases that you do honoring other experts, that's all showing up. That That's that's you doing it, Josh. It's because of yeah. you. Well, fa well, thank you, Dennis. So, thank but you. there's some things your team needs to do to make sure that that full knowledge panel shows up and everything's linking properly. And you have yeah, I, home I, and like all that needs to be. I, I will definitely get with them tomorrow on that. For sure. And you should get knowledge panels for all your clients. Because anyone who's a, a billboard lawyer, TV lawyer, I think people are going to Google so-and-so's name, right? Yeah. We do. Wouldn't it be better if a whole knowledge panel showed up? Yeah, we, we do do that. We have uh, uh, practitioner listings for all of our clients in addition to the to the uh, business listing. So we, yeah. We, we, yeah but if I, if I Google their name, I should see a knowledge panel, which dominates the entire screen, right? So my isn't it over to the right side of the screen? Well, it'll make kind of an upside down L. So on the right, you'll see that and you Google my name and you'll see it. And on the top, if it's done properly, you have all the images and the buy, all these colored cards. Okay. That's what we want to show because then we've okay. dominated the whole thing. And then the filters will show, you know, the the name of the firm, all these other pieces there across the top. So instead of like news, shopping, travel, whatever, it'll say so-and-so law firm, the name of their partner, the city. They're, it'll say that all these other things yeah, related across that, yeah. the top. Mm -hmm. Like Google yep. me and you'll see that. Yep. Um, you taught me something about SEO today, Dennis. I'm blown away. <laughs> I'm learning something about SEO every 10 minutes. <laughs> stuff to keep up um okay so what about looking forward so what what can our audience anticipate happening in the next three to five years because i believe we're going to see dramatic changes not only online and not only with more digital marketing but with our lives yeah i think the ai is going to kill everybody like in holly no i'm kidding I'm kidding that's what, <laughs> that's what people will have you believe no that we're we're many years from AGI and these kinds of things, but I believe that the, we're heading into a world of UBI, universal basic income, where the self-driving machines and the supermarket scanning and the truck driving, like all those sorts of things that humans shouldn't be doing, you'll see increasingly automated. And you've heard the phrase at first slowly, then suddenly, which means it it just starts to get you know like it's moving slowly, and then all of a sudden it just you know, the curve goes asymptotic. Yeah. That's what we're going to see in the next five years. And people are going to be caught off guard with how fast 
all these different tools. So like the AI right now is just like generating words, right? That's what generative AI is. Watch what happens when systems, when you're ordering food, when you're driving, like all the daily activities can be automated when the machine is taking action instead of right now just generating words. That is happening soon. And and it's going to happen at light speed, in my opinion. When it happens, it's going to happen quick and it's going to take us all and it's going to be like one of those um, Jurassic Park sorts of scenarios where we didn't plan all these unexpected effects, secondary tertiary effects. That's right. That's right. I agree with you. So, okay. So just to wrap it up, do you have any other nuggets of wisdom to share with, with the audience? Own your own marketing. What That's that? the number one thing. You need to own it. Trust your vendor. Take them out to dinner. Do all those nice things, right? Send them gifts. They're nice to you and all that. But you need to own your own marketing. You need to have control. It doesn't mean you have to become a digital marketing expert, but you need to own the assets and you need to learn how to put in a framework to hold people accountable to the exact same set of metrics, including your internal teams. So if you have multiple vendors, especially necessary to because things will fall between the cracks between these different vendors. And I'm a I'm biased, but I believe the data is how we keep a fair scorecard and keep people accountable because otherwise there's politics and all kinds of nonsense. So that's a great answer. And I'm just going to take it one step further. And what I've been teaching uh, my clients and prospective clients is that the most valuable piece uh, or the most valuable digital marketing asset they have is their database. Yeah. Because right now, we're, they're relying on rented real estate, whether that yep. rented real estate's a billboard or a bus, or whether that's Google or Facebook mm-hmm. or YouTube. That's all rented real estate. Yeah. So build yep. the database. Database, your owned assets, right? That's right. That's right. Your website, your customer list, your CRM, reaching out to you, treat it like a bank account. Every every client you've ever had, they're your assets because they're right. talking about you. That's right. That's right. Great, great advice. Well, Dennis, it's been great to have you. Dennis, you author of 16 books, three best-selling books on as a co-author with Perry Marshall. That's Google ads, Facebook ads, and now TikTok ads. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining. Signing off for now, Josh Konigsberg, Law Firm Marketing Pros, and the Behind the Bench Podcast. Thanks for listening to another fabulous episode of Behind the Bench. I hope you take action on some insight and tips you learned today. If you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, and share.